This is Buck Benny speaking. I'm with my friend Bob, and we are here to talk about uh, Picard episode three. Now, um, in this episode, uh, we see in Picard goes and seeks out Raffi, uh, who he'd worked with in the past, and um, starts trying to uh, seal things up with her and 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 get her on board. She's um, definitely has they've had issues in the past and so she's not willing to he's wanting to to like move on and she's wanting to not move on she's said she's like not ready to move on so there's that whole piece and then uh she steers him towards a pilot and so he goes and and uh talks to the pilot um in in talking to the to the pilot and trying to get him on board he we see that the pilot has uh, where like we've we've seen in which one is it Voyager the emergency doctor that uh, appears and is their doctor throughout and is a, essentially a hologram um, and in this case he's got a, an emergency doctor but he also has an emergency navigator he has basically for all the required people on the ship besides himself to run a ship they're all emergency generated holograms and each one is him so it's the actor playing all these roles but each one has their own distinct personality and they all try and help him solve problems and talk things through and things and and uh, he's always acting like he doesn't want to do that but of course he wouldn't have created him this way if he didn't want them to be this way so uh, it's an interesting little bit that they have there um Bob, what did you think of the episode or what stood out for you on this episode? And, and uh, we can add more things to it, but go ahead. Yeah, so there's that part where he's trying to put his team together. The other part is uh, Soji on the Borg ship or on the Borg Reclamation Project. She seems to get um, noticed by the director, who obviously was a former Borg because he still has the scars on his face that are still healing. Yes. And he takes her to one of the Romulans and that they've reclaimed. And she, obviously that Romulan senses that she's a cyborg or something because they're all, the whole room of Romulans is upset. Yeah. She comes in. Yeah. So there's that piece going on. The other pieces, like you said, card putting his crew together. At the end, he ends up and with the doctor from the Daystrom Institute. Yes. And Rafi and his new pilot. Yes. Yep. Uh, for me, it's hard. I mean, writers love to do these, getting the team together. Here we're going to, we're getting this team together. And I used to love episodes like this where they're getting their team together and you get to see who's going to be the people on the team and that sort of thing. 
now I guess as you get older, you realize you've seen this sort of thing where they pull together their team. This is the millionth time you've seen it. And you just are like, oh, it's this episode where they're rounding everybody up. And it and it loses some of its impact or some of your caring about it. I mean, they try and make it interesting by make all these people interesting, give you these insights. I guess the frustrating piece for me usually is you get all this kind of interesting background that they feel like they can share when you first get to know these people. And then in most shows, they kind of jettison that as the show moves along to, to future episodes and this person just becomes the communications officer or whatever it is. And you never get to see their backstory again, except for when they introduce them, they make it like, Oh, this is such an interesting person. They're going to have so much to, to share with all of us. And we're going to have so many interesting stories about them. And you get kind of excited about that. And then they just drop the ball and don't pursue those things. It seems like is the way it goes with so many things. In this case, you're excited about to see the guy and all his, uh, holodex, uh, hollow, hollow creations. And, uh, and are they going to continue that or aren't they going to continue it? Um, uh, and I don't want to get into what future episodes are going to bring or anything, but I was going, why? I wonder if we're ever going to see those again, or if they're just going to be gone now. I don't know. But uh, anyway, Bob, what, what is your thought about these kind of roundup shows? You have that same feeling I have about those episodes in general, or are, do you like that kind of episode? Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that one. Yeah, they didn't overblow it on this one, but it's no. kind of the same. That that they did about it. I mean, I have to say, if if you're going to do a roundup episode, this is about as well as you can do it. They did a good job. They made them all interesting. They they gave them all dynamics they had to deal with. But you can almost say, you know, if if somebody just gave you an empty page and said, we we need to do a roundup episode where we're going to round up all these different characters and put them together for Picard's new crew. How would you do it? Well, you'd say, okay, he runs into somebody that he first person you're going to go to is somebody, you know, like if, I, if I all of a sudden was president of the United States and I had to come up with a cabinet, right. I would go and round up my friend, Bob, probably. And you would be the first person I get and I go and we'd talk it out. And then when we you'd lead me to other people and things, right? And then it would we put it together. That's essentially what they did, right? And to make the person interesting, the first person they come to will be somebody that has a history with Picard and they have and they they have a fight or a, uh, a conversation, some conflict back and forth. They deal with some of that conflict that makes it an interesting part of the episode and then they go and find this new person that that it it, it writes itself in so many ways. Now, granted, they like I said, they did a pretty good job of fleshing the things out and things, and it, it, it didn't feel too bad. Plus, I think what helps tremendously in this is not it's not the whole episode that's a roundup episode. It is that part, the Picard part of the episode is that, but it has the Borg piece that I think is probably the more interesting piece is what's going on with her on the Borg ship, because we're like trying to understand okay, what's the deal with this Borg ship? What's the deal with the Borg? How are they all of a sudden reactivating them, not getting attacked by them? Oh, they're not in the hive mind anymore. It just, it, 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 there's a bunch of interesting pieces that happen here as this puzzle unfolds on this Borg ship uh, and, and Soji's adventure on that ship. Uh, 
and the fact that there is even is a Soji and that she is essentially the girl, the twin of the girl that we that we've seen die um, in 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 the uh, first episode, I guess of of the of the series. Um, Bob, what what are your thoughts on, I guess, her on the just everything in the episode? Anything go? <laughs> um, so let's. I'm thinking back now because it's actually a couple weeks since I watched it. There's also another third piece in there with the security officer. Right. Um, you start to flush that out a little more, and the fact that one of her operatives is working with. Um, Soji's romantic interest. So that's starting to come into play. Right. Another part that I did really like of the reunion, not the reunion thing, but the building the team is right at the end when he, they have Picard and he's like engage. Yes. Got a little piece in from the original series, which, which I thought was cool. Um, right. Well, and so often we always hear those things called as fan service when they are doing something that wouldn't mean anything to someone who's never watched this series. It's all built on on the previous series that they were in, and so that's fan servicing. But I always think that the concept of fan servicing does a, does a disservice to the fan, unfortunately, because sometimes they steer away from it because they oh that, that's fan service we won't do that. But it's like but that's one of the things we enjoy. And if you do it just enough, which I think in that case was totally warranted and makes it where the fan goes, Oh yeah. Okay. There's a, a fond little remembrance of the past. Um, you just, anytime they can, they want to make it more of a interwoven piece. That's not, they can't just be said, Oh, you're just doing this to please the fans. Right. Like, the whole da- data piece that flows throughout this whole um, season is more intricate than that. It's not just fan service. It actually drives this whole thing somewhat and, or bring the Borg back. I mean, they're, they're not just, it's not just a throwaway. Oh, there's the Borg. It's like, no, this is, they've changed. It's uh, what's going on with them. It's an intricate part of this puzzle. And so as much as you can do, and creating it to be integrated is the best, but sometimes you can't do that. And sometimes you do want to just throw a little fan piece out there of him saying engaged. Uh, certainly if any character that's a science officer or whatever looks at, at the captain at any point in any of the series and says, fascinating, that is a callback to Spock, even though it's not Spock doing it or whatever. And we love it when that sort of things happen. Certainly, uh, I think they've used that a few times with Burnham on the uh, Discovery, where she'll look at something and then and then prop her eyebrow up and go fascinating, and it'll and it's not interesting because it's that character. It's interesting because it's a callback to Spock, um, which she's related to in the whole thing, and it just kind of makes it. Fun for the fan, and I like that. And I don't think, I don't think they should be afraid of doing fan service sometimes. So that's my soapbox. I'll hop off of it and throw it back to Bob. Bob, <laughs> what else you got from this episode that you found? And uh, well, what do you think about the series so far? We haven't really gotten your. We know you like the first episode, the second episode. How about do you like this third one? 
Uh, are you still interested in the series going on? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to continue. Um, yeah. I, actually, I was enjoying it a lot. I just Good. got super busy. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing episode four. Yeah. Whether we go on or not, I'll probably, I'll probably finish it. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. And we'll probably go on. I'm not sure what we'll do uh, as, as we go on. But I know that uh, four is the one, essentially, I think it's four, is the one that uh, we really went into this to get to. It's it's one that ties into the third season of Discovery. And I wanted to have us definitely watch that before we watch the third season of Discovery. Mm-hmm. So uh, after that, we'll decide where we're moving with with this, whether we're going to keep on doing Picard every week or not. But anyway, go ahead. The other other thing is uh, I'm really interested to see what is going on because obviously this, there's more of these Sojis around. Yes. Exactly. Obviously they call her the destroyer. Yeah. Rhyme. And so there's something, she did something bad. One of her versions of her, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, Laura's sister or a daughter. Daughter. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> who, who knows? Who knows? We'll have to see as this progresses. Oh, I remember watching this the first time through um, this series. And after each one, I'd be wondering, huh, where is it going from here? And who, who's related to this? And how does this? It's interesting. I mean, I love watching these series for the first time through because there's so much your thoughts going. Um, right now, we're also watching uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I find that that happens every week on Falcon and Winter Soldier with me. I'm, I'm going, oh, okay, they've introduced this character. How does this relate to everybody? Does this mean they're going to introduce another? You're always trying to guess who they're going to introduce again, whether it's somebody from the past or whatever, whether it's going to be a big name act, actor, actress. Um, all of the, you're Just wondering all those things as you watch something the first time. And I think that's what's exciting. What's, what's really exciting about these shows is historically you'll sit back and go oh this would be really cool if this would happen but that would cost way too much money and so they can't do that right when you're watching a tv show you pretty much know that you're kind of stuck in certain parameters when you're watching a a streamed show like this where there's only 15 episodes and they have lots of money you it makes it where you you think about these things and go actually they could do that or they could do this thing. And so you never know. It it opens up far more possibilities of getting higher caliber actors. And uh, well, for instance, when we watched the first episode of Picard, I was wondering, huh, I wonder if they're ever going to show us the whole Martian takeover thing that they talked about. And the next episode, they did show us that because they had the budget. They could just go, okay, we're going to go and do this. Even though Picard's not in it, this whole section, we're going to show this and what and what actually happened instead of just tell you about it. Historically, in Star Trek, the original series, when it was on in 66, 67, anything like this would be them simply telling us about it. And they would try and just get an engaging actor to be the person who's from that situation and describe, oh, and then they killed thousands of us. Oh, and then they did this. And then I went through this and I went through this. And they, they just do it through their acting of making us feel like, oh, we've been through that or we understand what happened. Um, with these streaming shows, they can actually go back and have a flashback and show us what happened and spend the budget on it uh, that they would never do in the original series. So I think that's I think also, streaming interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, the technology. Yes. Even the shots they did were extremely expensive. Like the whole ship against the map, those are all models. There's no CGI. I mean, just pulling it off in general is a lot of work. Correct. And then they would do those mats, like city scenes, which were... Right. Well, a good a good example is always a very popular episode, the Doomsday Machine from the original series, in that the uh, William Wyndham, who plays the Cap uh, Commodore Decker, um, is this wonderful actor who does this great emotive, crazy tour de force performance. But he tells us about how it destroyed the planets when he beamed his people down. Do we see any of that? No. We don't. We we never even see a planet the whole time. I don't think um, we see the the doomsday machine, but all we did is see it do is attack a couple of starships because that's all they could afford to do, and probably they would have done a lot more. But budgetary wise, they said this is the amount of shots we have. We can do this many attack runs or whatever, and so build the script kind of around that. And so they're building the script around what they can afford with the effects instead of in reverse building the effects around this great script to bring it off. Right. It's totally different writing piece. Now I will say it brings up sometimes the best writing is done because you have limitations and dealing with those limitations. The examples of that that are always used are um, probably jaws where they couldn't get the shark working right. And so they really had to play up the suspense part where you're, the, the you know the the noise of it coming the the music they play da dun, da dun, dun, you know that whole thing and the um the shark where you see just the fin or you see just just the aftermath of what it's done and not actually see the shark doing much of anything because they could only get it working for so long and it cost them so much to to do that that they would have featured a lot more but it probably would have been not as good of a film if they would have featured any more than they did. Yeah, it's kind of the Alfred Hitchcock thing. Also, I yeah. read that the Doomsday Machine actually was much more elaborate. It kind of had like teeth and stuff, and then in the end, it didn't have the budget. So somebody said, oh, did you make a paper mache windsock? And essentially, that's what it is, is a paper mache windsock. Windsock, yep. <laughs> so they... And now when they did the CGI version, they really didn't change it that much. Right. So it's now that is like icon, the iconic image of that machine is right. what they do. Well, it's like it's like Jordy's visor in the first season. It, 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 it's not closed off. So the pins go up from the bottom and stop and the pins come down from the top and stop and, and they alternate. And so when you looked at that, some of us said, that looks like a girl's hair bread. And they later on admitted that they got the design from somebody, one of the design people had a, their, their daughter's hair bread or whatever and took it and just kind of went something like this, not realizing that, that their people would completely design it to look like a hair bread. <laughs> and uh, so in the second season, they fixed that so that it, the pins went all the way down and all the way up because it just looks silly with them stopping and having this weird. Anyway. It was, that was another thing I think we had talked about this in another episode was McCoy's uh, medical device sensors yes. were, were hot, were futuristic looking salt shakers from the uh, episode with the salt monster. Yes. And they 
end up using those as their because I, I guess when they're writing the scripts like oh we, now we got to explain what these are because no one's going to recognize them as salt shakers right and so instead they just go well let's just use standard salt shakers of course. and then we'll use this <laughs> as the equipment for for bones and save a bunch of money by doing it makes total sense that they did that um yeah and uh you, you know and like we say we don't know all the behind the scenes thing they could have said you know what i'm gonna freaking use regular salt shakers but in the script it says futuristic salt shakers so why don't you make me something that's something that mccoy could use and uh i'll just say we changed our mind and decided to use salt i mean you never know with Roddenberry. He's always thinking these things through and playing the studio to get as much money as he can for things. And that would be a, an easy way to get um, uh, a, a temporary budgetary item for one episode that he could use on multiple episodes if, if it becomes uh, something that... that uh, I mean, if it's the little spinny thing, I think that's what it is, the spinny thing that he always uses to, to go over people. Oh, they're having a heart attack or whatever it is. Uh, we saw that in what 50 of the episodes over the run of the series or something, or 40 of them at least. And, uh, so that was a very worthwhile salt shaker that they used that they used over and over again. I think it's the sound effects too, that make it more yeah. real. Oh, for sure. Yeah. If, if, if McCoy was just going boop, do, 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 like I do, it, it just doesn't work as well. It doesn't, you know. But I think it's though, would it actually make a noise like that? It's just kind of funny. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's it's like um, I was just seeing something this week on this, so and this ties in really well. It was I think it was it was yeah, Star Wars. Which actress was it? Laura Dern is in one of the later Star Wars movies, and uh she she has they have her doing a laser fight. And whenever she does it, you if you watch her lips while she's using the gun, she goes pew, 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 <laughs> as she's doing it. So they had to, one, edit out her, her sound that she's made, cut her sound so she you couldn't hear her pew, pews. Then they, they had to put in the sound of the thing firing, but time it with when she's going pew, because you don't want her going pew. <laughs> And nothing comes out. So it's like it, they said it made it tremendously harder and it made her still look stupid in the film of some, for some reason, moving her mouth every time she fires a shot. <laughs> <laughs> and then they showed there's multiple people that have done that. And some of the people with the lightsabers will make, well, like as they're using the lightsaber in, in the film will go you know, and make all the noises. And then they, you can see it in their faces as they're doing this, that they're making noises. As they're doing it. <laughs> it's brilliant. Anyway. <laughs> trying to make the green screen more, I don't know, realistic. So they yeah. don't so hard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you're, you're reliving your childhood fantasies and it's really hard to not do some of those things. It's like instinct. And <laughs> I still think it's hilarious. Or pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> and they show it in slow motion and things. Her sh and when she's doing it, you can totally see her mouth going pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. I, I guess we covered this episode enough. I, I, I'm delighted with all the series that we've had and Picard to, 
is no exception. It's different than Discovery, which I think is good, and it's what it should be. It's different from Next Generation, which is good. Um, it probably ties closer into the next generation than I thought it would from the way they talked about this series before it came on. But like I say, I'm a fan of next generation. So I'm happy it ties in more to that series than, than we thought it would. And um, you got no problem with me there. Oh, um, the other thing we should talk about this week is um, this week we just got information that in Picard season two, uh, did you hear any of the news? I mean, it, it uh, made big news, I suppose, but Bob knows nothing of it. But <laughs> um, they announced that Q is going to reappear uh, in in this series. Um, and I don't know what we'll just segue into this because we got time. And I mean, some people might be interested in this. Uh, Bob, what do you think? What did you think overall of Q in the Star Trek history? Uh, I think the very last episode with him was okay. Yes. He kind of yeah, Trelane, and I found Trelane annoying. Yes. So, um, well, and, and speaking not, of Trelane, they have, I think in the book series, tied in that Trelane is, uh, I think he's supposed to be the son of Q or the nephew of Q. So, I mean, he's related to Q in some way. But he's younger than Q, and I thought Q would be younger than he was, but I guess I don't know how that all works. So but. it's so it's not thrilling me much hearing the news. I'm not, I'm not. Right, right. Well, that's the thing, and that and and to me, I'm like I'm happy for John Delancey who plays Q. I mean, he's wanted to come back and play Q again, and he does a fine job of it. It's just not my favorite character, that sort of character that he plays, but. He is considered to be, um, whenever they do surveys of fans and everything, like one of the most popular, if not the most popular recurring character in Star Trek history. Um, wow. So, it, which is interesting. I mean, that wouldn't be a crew member. So, I mean, who else would it be? It'd be like, uh, I suppose it would be like Khan. Yeah, he's and, more popular than Khan. I don't know. I mean, I, th I think so. But, but Khan was, was on what, twice? In one movie and one TV show. So do you call him a recurring character? The thing is, if you ask fans yeah. of a recurring character, who else do you think of besides Q? Is there like Mud, Harry Mud, and did two episodes, yeah, three? Well, no, if you think of Discoveries in more, but originally he was only in two. Right. Yeah. So I mean, there's not a lot of recurring characters in Star Trek that are not cast members anymore. What about, about Sarek? Oh yeah, Sarek would be. One would be definitely a recurring one. Amanda would be a recurring one. So anyway, so people really like him and like his episodes. I mean, I think some of his episodes really work well. I think when he's not the main focus of the thing, which I don't think he'll be in this, I think then they work better. Uh, like you said, the um, well, I can't remember what the last episode of Star Trek is called. It's like Farewell or whatever it is. But um the, the Star Trek Next Generation, the last episode that he's in, I think he does a really good job in there. He does a good job in the episode Tapestry that has goes through and talks about uh, Picard and some of the um, events in, in his life, the tapestry that makes up hey, Picard's uh, life. Yeah, I've actually forgot about that. So the one where he gets stabbed. Yes, 
Yes. And then he's laughing and you wonder why he's laughing. And that turns out that was a turning point in his future. Right. Exactly. Stand- yeah. That, yeah. I forgot about that episode. So that's a great one. He is people forget. He's the very, very first time we ever see the Borg is in a Q episode. Um, Q who I think it is. And uh, we see the Borg there. And you don't realize what a major player they'll be in the future, but they're just a piece of this episode. But it, I think it makes for an interesting episode. Uh, I think some of the weaker one. I mean, Cupid is one where he's, it's like a romance sort of light episode. Some of the, I guess he's better being the humorous or a lighter touch to a piece of a dark episode. I would say I like better than when they do a completely light, fun episode with him and it doesn't work as well for me. Um, I guess by and large, I would say, but bottom line is if you're going to, if you make a funny episode and it's truly funny, I'll probably enjoy it if he's in it. If you make a serious episode and it's truly serious and he's in it, I'll be okay with that. If it's well-written, I'm going to like it. But if it's not well-written and you're using him as a crutch to to sort of, oh, we'll have a Q episode, just as kind of a breather. We've had some serious episodes lately. Then that doesn't work so well for me. So I guess. And I I see Bob nodding his head. Do Do you agree generally with my assessment of Q? Yeah, like I say, it's not my favorite, but if, I guess if they write it well, they don't make it too, I don't know, cheesy. Yeah. It's going to all depend on how it's written and what he does. Right. Agreed. And I don't, I don't know how they're going to work him in. I mean, they're obviously going to be more clever than me. They're writing it because I don't know how you work him into the series, but I'm sure they'll find some way. He's yeah. the one that created those data's um, daughters. Just, just kidding. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay spoiler alert he does not do anything in this season it's second season that he's gonna appear so you don't have to worry about him coming in and change this hasn't all been a some sort of a uh a q uh exercise yeah. for picard to go through that hasn't really happened it, it all happened <laughs> now granted they can have him in the first episode of season two and he see all of season one becomes this thing that he was doing to Picard's mind that really didn't happen. Gosh, I hope they don't go that way, but (laughs) we shall see. (laughs) No, but uh, no. And then the other piece was that, that he went out and pursued, they had Picard, not Picard, they had uh, Patrick Stewart go on uh, the view. um, last year and he would appeared and talked to um whoopi goldberg and invited her back on the show as um guinan and said they had a piece ready for her if she was wanting to come back and she acted like she did want to come back so i don't know what happened with that if if you know they don't usually do something like that publicly unless they've already worked out some of the kinks behind the scenes so I would guess that she's going to be in season two as well, but I have no idea because I haven't heard anything since then about her, but I have heard about Q. So maybe they're both in this season, second season in Picard. I don't know. So she's going to come back and she's going to come back and give him advice. Yeah. Well, and I've heard that, uh, that the filming of Picard, I know that is happening or already happened. I know that, 
also, which is bizarre, it seems like almost the exact same time they've been doing the um, Strange New Worlds because they definitely have felt. I think I think they finished Picard and then started Strange New Worlds right after that. And so Strange New Worlds, I know they've filmed all of the first pilot um, and or the first episode. It's not really a pilot because they know it's going to kill. They already sort of had a backdoor pilot. So they've finished up the first episode and now they're working on future episodes. Uh, I get the impression that the first episode that they talk about as the first episode is really either going to be a two or three hour, you know, piece, whether it's presented in one shot or presented as multi, I, I just get the feeling it's going to be a multi-part episode. And, but they then have continued to talk about how this show, they've said that, they they've said it very well they've said it the way i've always wanted them to say it which was it's going to be more standalone episodes like the original series they say we're so used to in this modern age to have everything connect and have it be a 15 part storyline or whatever they said that's not what's going to happen with strange new world strange new worlds is going to be episodic it's going to be each episode being different Having said that, they've also said, but there are going to be character arcs that follow the characters throughout the course of the, the season where we get to know the character better or they change a little bit about who they are or whatever and they progress in the season, which I think is the right thing to do. I think the happy balance, I wish they would have done that more with the original series, been able to, instead of saying, oh, we're going to have Kirk fall in love this week, be the love of his life, she dies, and the next episode, he's back to being who he was before and no mention is ever made of this thing that happened the episode before it. I think it should be that if you have some traumatic thing that happens to you in the next few episodes, maybe you're referring to that or you seem a little off or your character seems a little more gruff than it did because you're angry about that other situation. There should be some carryover, you know, a little bit um, for the character. If not it doesn't have to be uh, the plot doesn't have to be dragged through three or four or five episodes necessarily, but the ramifications maybe should in my I opinion. That's going to be cool. I think because yeah. I, I, one of my favorite episodes of season two was the one where they go down on the planet. Those people yeah. that were transported by the red angel. Yep. That was kind of a, kind of a one-off. I mean, it tied in. Correct. Angel. I really liked that episode. Agreed. And they did that more with the second season of Discovery had more episodes that, you know, there might be, you know, we always talk about how there's an A and a B storyline, sometimes a C storyline. When the A storyline is kind of a standalone in that episode story and the B or the C maybe carries the continuing of the, of the thread, right. That they're trying to continue their arc. I think that's maybe the best of all worlds with this. I mean, cause you just, the episodes we don't like are the ones that simply seem to be there to connect to the, to connect the previous episode and to connect to the next one. And it's sort of this connecting tissue. And you're like, who wants to watch connecting tissue? I'd rather have a standalone story that's worth watching. Right. So um, yeah, you just get it. It's gotta be tricky. I mean, it's got, I, I gotta give it to him. It's gotta be tough writing, how can I write in a way that makes this episode stand out as one that you'll years later will go, 
oh, this was my city on the edge of forever. This was my doomsday machine. This was my something that's going to be remembered, right? And yet have it try and tie in some way, flare out to to tie into the next episode and the previous episode and keep our storyline going. It's a difficult thing to do, but I but they can do it in that that episode that you mentioned, Bob, is one that you've mentioned, Jim's mentioned, I mentioned as this being a unique episode that works as a standalone and seems almost like it could be an original episode of the original series. Yeah. Um, If anything, that would be sort of the episode I would look at if I was a writer or a producer or a director or whatever on Strange New Worlds to say, here's how we can do this. Here's We've shown we can do it again. Let's look at that template and bring it into our series. That's the other thing you think about the original series. Like you said, there's there really is no connective. But you see some of those episodes, I don't think they've ever touched in any series. I mean, I can't think of another episode that touches the Doomsday Machine. Or this, that and the City of the Edge Forever is so, like, I don't know, the way it's put together. I, I don't think they've ever matched that. No. No. You're, you're saying quality-wise matching where those episodes go or those yeah i agree i think it, maybe it's the acting the writing i don't know roddenberry obviously had some genius to him yeah and he did it with well and his genius wasn't the episodes he wrote or had a big piece of it aren't necessarily the episodes we remember the best i mean i still really enjoy them but but the 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 he he had a way of getting the best out of people. I mean Harlan Ellison, who wrote uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Uh, when you listen to you can you, you can listen to Harlan talk about it. You can listen to any anybody that was associated with. You can listen to talk about it. And it's interesting because even though it's from their own perspective, I mean Harlan will be like, oh they were giving me such a hassle and I. I, I you can't use my script. Okay. You can use my script and they're going to pull this out. They're going to pull that. Right. Just all the stuff they did to him. Um, and he sounds a little whiny, which he comes across as being, but, but then you hear like Roddenberry's side of it and they're like, Oh my gosh, he was just such a pain to work with. And he'd, he'd be, okay, I can work with these changes. No, I can't work with these changes. I'm not going to do this. You can't take this. You can't, you know, and we worked, and we worked, and we worked. It, it, I, I think they worked, more effort was put into that episode probably than five episodes combined. But Roddenberry was smart enough to know this is worth it. This is going to be one of our timeless classic episodes that is going to be the best of the season. So I'm willing to jump through these hoops and take on this guy that doesn't normally write television and is giving me all sorts of issues. Um probably give me an ulcer but it's worth it to to get this one script out of this guy it would have been easy for some other person running it to just go harlan just go do something else we don't need your script we got enough scripts going it's like forget it but they didn't do that they were willing to 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 work with him and, and get that to come out there's and there's stories of almost every great episode of star trek or any series that some of the very best ones are usually where they had all kinds of trouble getting it to work and, but they fought it and fought it and fought it because they could tell it was worth being done. And then they 
come up with something special. I mean, certainly Doomsday Machine is its own piece in that it, it became the level of special effects, if you watch that episode, are so much higher than, and you use so many more shots that are special effects laden and everything than any other episode, really, that it was a really expensive, hard episode to do. And to get the budget for it, they probably had to trim down another two or three episodes that season to, to be just bare bones. And those episodes, those other three that we're talking about, probably are not ones that you mention highly in your esteem of Star Trek, but they knew if they took the budget and applied it in certain spots, that they could make these timeless episodes. that will be forever. I, I think, you know, and that was worth it. William Wyndham was one of the pieces of that episode really working. Yes. And I don't think, and I don't recall reading, he wasn't the first actor they chose. Yeah. But yeah. he like some of the scenes that he's in are pretty amazing. Oh yeah, just the whole the whole cast just steps up. Yep, especially Nimoy. I think Nimoy really steps up in that episode. Well, and they rewrote some of the part after after William Wyndham got it, and they could see what he was doing. The writers changed some things and made it to emphasize more what he was capable of doing. It was going to be written. It was written a lot drier originally, but they really ringed out the emotion to it because of his performance and. It worked beautifully. I mean, his over-the-top going into the thing doesn't even have vocal on it, really. It's just sort of him reacting and and looking terrified as he gets closer and closer to it. Um, I mean, that whole thing, just, just watching that sequence of him taking the shuttlecraft into the thing is amazing in that he's first defiant. I'm did this I've, I've gotten out here in this shuttlecraft on my own doing the thing i'm going to do i'm going to go destroy this thing and just defiantly going to do this and they're trying to talk him out of it and he's talking back to him no no this is what i'm doing blah 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 and then to see him slowly start to fall apart as he gets closer and closer to it and then completely freaking out right before he dies um all on screen that's just insane and that, and, yeah and the opening well, is really good too when he when they meet him on the oh yeah that's the iconic piece of acting. Yes. yes. Yeah. The, the um, there it was. It's like it came yeah. straight out of hell. Right right <laughs> off the rock. <laughs> Daryl's gonna react it. Fuck Benny's gonna re react the whole thing. Let's do it. That <laughs> <laughs> that I saw it. And somehow my William Wyndham sounds a lot like my Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> then Mary, Mary saw the, 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 the coming straight out of hell for Mary, and it, it's getting. <laughs> That's pretty good. Doesn't work, see, for but they couldn't get. See, we don't know who the original actor was that they were going to get. We didn't realize it was Jimmy Stewart that they were trying to get, and then they couldn't get Jimmy Stewart, so they got William Wyndham instead. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Also, the character was like you said; it was written different. It was he was more like cat. He's essentially Captain Ahab. Yes. You've got to kill this whale, but the way that Wyndham approached it was more, less crazy and more like, oh, I've got to destroy this thing and avenge my crew. And I'm more like sad and depressed about it and right. angry at the same time. Yep. And crazy. So that, I think that was more effective. Anyway, yeah. So that'll be interesting to see how they do. Uh, this new series with these single episodes going to be 
The other thing I was going to mention is now that we think about it, the original series really didn't have multiple threads. No. It was like we have this one story and this one thread, and everybody's revolving around this thread, not like right. like Discovery and these other shows now. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Did They, they must have had... Yeah, they, I mean, they had B storylines, but they, like you say, they tied in so directly to the main one. Um, an easy one to get your head around a, a B storyline. God, I can't even remember. I remember the B storyline. I'm having trouble remembering what the A storyline is. It's the one, there's one where um, there's this couple on that is going to get married and the captain's going to be marrying them. That's definitely the B storyline. The A storyline is um balance I think balance, that, what, balance, what was it balance of terror yes One yes the I, I love that episode too that's a really yeah good right but it does have it does have a that little b storyline to it and the a storyline of course is just the captain and the 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 uh the ships it, it, it's it's like submarine warfare sort of thing and is kind of how the episode plays out <laughs> but a really the- excellent episode it's also kind of a C storyline too, with the guy that is prejudiced against Spock. Correct, correct. So there's little pieces in that episode, and they tie all those things together, which is one of the things that's really good writing, I and mean, that's just excellent writing on that episode. Um, I mean, certainly the Doomsday Machine. You could say that the B storyline is is William Wyndham and what he does. The A storyline is just them trying to take on this um, the whole thing, right? Um, so yeah, there's there's some kind of B storylines. With Next Generation, it becomes more where the B storyline might have very very little to do with the A storyline. It's it's this separate piece adventure that somebody's having or a thing that they're doing. Um, and then the A storyline is is the one that involves the whole ship and everything. So um, and then in these uh when they went to streaming and stuff that's even emphasized even more where you've got storylines that are throughout the whole season you got storylines that are just within that episode you've got storylines that are like a three episode little arc of a storyline built in and it would be interesting to just kind of pencil out where the storylines begin and end and all of that. And you'd have all these lines, some that shoot all the way through the season, some that shoot for just a few episodes, some that are specific to that one episode. Yeah. But that's the main difference is a lot of those other storylines in the original series don't tie into the next episode. Correct. Almost none of them do. They're all, I, I can't think of any that do that. You never see that the lady whose husband dies in the balance of terror. You never see her again. No. A lot of the sub characters you never see. Correct. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. So hopefully, I mean, in uh, the new series, Strange New Worlds, hopefully you see a little more of that a little more carryover sometimes with that. On the other hand, do I really want to see or have them play out the if the couple, if the main piece of the couple is the fact that the captain's doing the ceremony and that there's tragedy that happens on the ship sometimes, do I really want to watch two more episodes with this woman who's just a cast member uh, of the crew and watch her deal with the grief of, of her husband? I, 
probably not. I probably don't want to spend the screen time on that, but there are other things that I would carry over. So anyway, we shall see. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll end that one and head off to other spaces. So I hope you guys were enjoying Picard this season. We are. And uh, Picard season two should be hopefully starting up sometime soon in it's definitely out in 2021, so sometime this year. Hey, nerds. I'm Will Wheaton, and this is The Ready Room, your official behind-the-scenes hub for all things Star Trek Universe. A quick word of caution. Everything you're about to see is filled with spoilers, so if you haven't seen the latest episode of Star Trek Picard, the end is the beginning. Why are you watching me? Seriously, go watch that episode, then come back. That's how it works. And do it quick, because we have some very cool stuff waiting for you, including our very special guest, Michelle Hurd, who plays Rafi. Then we've got a sneak peek at next week's episode, exclusive to The Ready Room. We are very fancy. But before all of that, can we just talk about the fact that Jean-Luc Picard has just assembled the motliest crew in Star Trek history? If you squint, I think you can see Vince Neil in the background. Because I think this merits a closer look in this week's edition of Producing Picard. Control room, engage. Everybody loves Next Gen and they love the crew of Next Gen both as individual characters, but also together as a crew. And I think the challenge for us was to come up with a new version of that crew that was not comprised of Starfleet officers, but very unique individuals who were outside the system, just like Picard now finds himself outside the system. Our group chat on WhatsApp is just the Motley crew, and I feel like that's fitting. We're just kind of like pieced together, you know, ragtag, as I said, you know, you want to come on, what can you do? All right, let's just get it going. Nobody's in uniform. You're not going to see sort of a homogenized look. We don't really fit together. Some people are technically able, some people are not. <laughs> I'm Agnes P. Girardi. I'm the Earth's leading expert on synthetic life, and I promise you, if you take me with you, I will more than earn my keep. Everybody's a little left up in various emotional and physical ways. You have Rafi and Picard who have their conflict. They used to be, they worked together very closely to do the rescue for Mars. And then when Starfleet called it off, she wanted to keep fighting. He, you know, felt the fight was over. Picard comes to me to find a ship. And I have a companion, a friend that I've worked with for many years, Rios. Rios, my character, he's ex-Starfleet. He's a pilot a very skillful pilot at that. And he has a dark past with something happened while he was at Starfleet, which was the reason for him to leave Starfleet or be discharged. This is not a Starfleet mission. This is a person on the verge of death going on a final adventure as he sees it and as a way to make peace with his best friend's death. So you have all these people who have something to hide and all who are coming together because they have something that they want to ultimately find and gain. Each of us, I think, are searching for community and love and kindness in the furthest reaches because we're all kind of broken, sad people. Our crew is really about the human story. Every single person has something that they might be damaged about, that they're trying to heal, that they're trying to resolve, that they're trying to figure out how to make peace and make whole. Getting all those nuggets is what propels you through the season. Engage.
to be joined today by Michelle Hurd, mm. who plays Rafi on Star Trek Picard. Um, she is one of my favorite ah. characters in Star Trek canon. Thank she you. is amazing. She is. Um, Rafi and Picard have such an interesting mm -hmm. history, and it's an incredibly deep, incredibly rich history. Yeah. We know about Picard's relationships with Riker and mm. Data and the Next Gen cast. We don't really know a lot about their relationship. Yeah. Did you do work with Patrick and the showrunners yeah. to develop the specificity of that relationship? Yeah. Well, you know, the the character was so well vetted out. You know, they had the history of it. Yes. I have a nice little sort of um, backstory that um, I really sort of dug into and asked lots of questions of and we vetted out. And it's so layered and it's so rich and it's so real. You know, it's a, you know, People exist in our day that are just like Rafi, um, yeah. who are struggling, you know, daily to just get through and yeah. um, to still show up, even though it's incredibly difficult. Uh, so that was just, you know, uh, great to jump into as an actor. And then, you know, you get on set with Patrick and he is just the he most just... generous actor. Yeah, he makes you better. He he makes you better. Yeah. He makes everybody better. You know, what I love is that, you know, everything always sort of tumbles down from number one, right? Number I mean, one sets the tone in absolutely. any production, any, any job. We're talking right? about number one on the call sheet, the first person who in, on Next Generation and on Picard was Patrick. Right, Continue. and so the number one is, you know, he dictates how the set's gonna be. Sets the tone. And he, you know, the first day, every day when he walks on set, you could sort of feel all of us, we kind of like, you know, you want to sit up straighter, you want to make sure everything's all, you know, in line, but he immediately puts you at ease. Yeah. You know, he's calm, he's um, funny, he's self-deprecating, he's, ensemble in you know uh, focused so he really uh, and he's so respectful of the fans i mean we have done scenes where we would be in the middle of shooting and he'll he'll stop and he goes no the fans will know this is not right yeah we need to change this and we'll stop and we'll work it out we'll vet it out so that it's it's respectful and true so you know when you have someone like that you can't help but want to bring your a game and want to you know try to do the best you can in the most authentic way that you can and um, you know, it's an honor. It's just an honor. He's on my phone. He's my friend. I could text him now. Yeah. Can, isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's crazy. He's, he's very, in, in a very real way, mm. a father figure to me. A hundred percent. And and was that. Mm. And it makes me so happy to know that at this point in his life, he has earned the right yes. to take his foot off the gas a That's little right. bit. And what I am hearing from everyone that I have talked to is that that is not happening. No. Oh, I went to see, because I'm a New Yorker, yeah. I got to see him in uh, uh, a, a Christmas Carol. Christmas, yeah. Two shows. Yeah. 43 characters. Yeah. Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah. 43 characters, and it was amazing. We all know that story, right? You're like, yeah. oh, it's Christmas, bah humbug, there's, you know, Tiny Tim and three ghosts, and, you know, you know the story. Every single person in that theater was, in, you know, enraptured with him. We, li I literally looked around at one point, and everybody was leaning forward. Yeah, just locked into him. He's phenomenal. There's no, there's it, no pedal stop in there. It's like that on the set too. Yeah, when when uh, when he's working on the set, mm. um, when I feel like when Star Trek is really cranking, when everything, when all the when all the cylinders are firing. Yeah, that everybody is leaning forward. You're and absolutely watching, right. and you're like deeply into it. That's absolutely right. Um, Rafi clearly did not take losing that uniform well. Yeah. That no. still haunts her. 100%. She's angry about it. Yeah. Um, but she seems to me to be a little self-destructive mm. as a response 
to that. Do you want to talk at all about what she has been doing? Lives out in the desert by herself. Mm -hmm. Clearly not in Starfleet anymore. Mm. How did she get where she is now? Well, you know, Rafi's backstory is um, is really deep and complex. Mm -hmm. um, she she was brought up with her parents were in uh, were in the Federation. They worked mm -hmm. there, and they ended up having to leave her behind so that they could um, pursue their careers. Mm -hmm. So she was sort of raised by other people, um, which which causes her to you know have guilt and spiral and question her choices. And in, within that, she starts to lean on some crutches. Mm -hmm. um, she has some vices, she smokes, she drinks. Uh, but I, I really wanted to tell that type of a story because we have so many people in our, fam in our world today that have addictions. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's a weird taboo about talking about some you know, uh, addictions. Mm -hmm. uh, some people try to push them to the side, they're not worthy of being at the, you know, table, you know, have Thanksgiving, don't bring that one because they're going to make a mess. Mm -hmm. And what I really wanted to show with Rafi is that she's still viable. She still has a lot to contribute. She's just trying to get through the day. She's haunted. She's haunted by yeah. decisions. And her relationship with Picard, you know, he, he pulled her out of her addiction. When she started to work with him, um, she started to get braver and wanted to achieve and wanted to be present. So she stopped her, um, her, her crutches. She stopped drinking, she stopped smoking, and she stayed with him. And she, he was her saving grace, her, her lifesaver. When this situation with the Romulans happened and he resigns, it was a huge slap in the face for her, a huge betrayal of the relationship that they had made. That he walked away that from he something away. that she believes in. That they both believed in. Yeah. They both believed in. We both were on this the same journey. Yeah. We were going to save them. And then he, he he resigns. He uses that as a threat as opposed to, you know, staying in there and fighting. Uh, so she really spirals and she goes back to her old devices and she's mad. We can see that when yeah. he shows up and we don't know if she is going to shoot him uh -huh. or just tell him to leave. You can turn around and call that cab to take you right back where you came from. I just wants to talk. There isn't anything you could say that I want to hear. Mm -hmm. You know, how I feel about Rafi, and I'm sure that we can all experience this in different, pla in different ways when you find someone who's really a mentor, you, you know, that person becomes, as you said, your father, your brother, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you have that full spectrum of a relationship. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that's who Picard was to Rafi. She had all those feelings for him. So she really, um, it really hurt her. I don't even know what to say. It's a lot to take I mean, in. the obvious way to go would be, you have some goddamn nerve. But I gather you, you already heard that from your buddy Clancy. Yeah. I love that because she's yeah. so flawed. Mm. I cannot remember the last time we saw a character in Star, Star Trek. Trek. Yeah. In Star Trek where we're all like, no, we're the best of humanity. Right, we're, right. we're like, like I think yeah. it is terrifically inspiring mm. and validating to flawed people to see like, yes, you can be flawed, you can screw up, and you are allowed to get back up yes. and join Jean-Luc right. Picard in a mission. Right, Jean-Luc Picard and life. Yes. She's, if you think she's in a trailer in the desert, she has no neighbors. Right. She has not been living in life. 
Her life has been her horgle. Her yeah. life has been her her own sort of circling the same you know regrets and the mistakes that have happened. She's literally just been pouring salt into her wound. She has yeah. not been in life. My entire life for the past 14 years has been one long slide into humiliation and rage. Also a fair amount of snake leaf induced paranoia cell. Some things never change. And yeah, you know, I, I, the fact, I love that she's so perfectly imperfect. Yes. I love, I love that, that too. She, you know, yeah. because we all are. Yeah. We all are. It, at some point, there's some little thing that we wish was better, but you have to figure out how to get through it. She's really, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, been highlighted all of her imperfections and she sort of has, has, has carried them and, and is wearing them as a, as a, um, a ball and chain, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love that aspect of her and I think it's really important for us to tell that story and I love that we can tell that story in this situation where usually all the people are so put together and so um, perfect. Right. You go, yeah, even in that world we have perfectly imperfect people just like we do here. So she, Rafi, introduces Picard to uh -huh. Cristobal Rios. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, uh, who's terrific. He's fantastic. Uh, Santiago. Uh, he's, so, he's, he's really interesting yeah, as he's really... well. Um, and in the intro for this episode, I talked about how he assembled the motliest crew. Uh-huh, that's, that's what we call that's, ourselves. That's, that's, the that's motley ever, crew. That's ever been assembled. Um, uh, how does Rafi know him? And, they, yeah. and, and how, like, where does that relationship come into play? Because yes. Picard suspects, we don't know for sure, Picard suspects Rios is ex-Starfleet. Yeah. He sees something in him. Yeah. Does Rafi see it too? Oh, absolutely. I think um, Ra what Rafi and Rios have in common is their distrust of the Federation. They've both, okay. yeah, they've both been burned. They've both been um, uh, awoken to the fact that it's not all, um, you know, <laughs> unicorns and rainbows. Yeah. Um, there's a, they've been disillusioned by what they, they you know, they, they drank the Kool-Aid and the Kool-Aid didn't taste good. Uh -huh. So the relationship that Rios and Rafi have is a really um, is a close one because they both felt that they've been burned, they've been uh, been um, lied to and betrayed by something that they gave their life to. Mm -hmm. um, so they they after me leaving the Federation or being fired um, and him leaving for his situation, mm -hmm. um, they found each other uh, probably at a bar, yeah. um, and uh, you know. You know, start a uh, conversation about um, whatever, and then it came to this, uh, uh, you know, the way they feel about the Federation. And um, they bonded, and they've kept a really good relationship, a real close thing. I, I always joke when we're on set that Santiago and I are like, or Rios and Rafi are like uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca. And given any given episode, we're either Chewbacca or Han Solo. Um, so, yeah, they have, a, yeah they have a good, um, a good bond. I get the sense that you knew Star Trek before you yeah. were part of Star Trek. Yes. Well, uh, you know, I'm a native New Yorker. I'm a biracial child. My father is black. My mother is white. Uh -huh. um, my father was an actor. And um, back in the day, it was really important for him to make sure that when we were watching any kind of TV or movies or even going to see Broadway, that it was inclusive. He yeah. wanted his three daughters to see themselves represented. Yes. And when I got this job, I literally had a flashback in, uh, of us as a family sitting around watching Star Trek and yeah. watching the first interracial kiss on television. Amazing. Which, if you think about it as a biracial child, that was the first time I could see my parents 
basically represented on television. Yeah. It's huge. You know, we don't realize the impact of that kind of a, a thing for children, how it sets into you that you can actually see yourself part of society. Um, so yeah, Star Trek has, and, and, and of course, once I got this job, because I'm, you know, I'm a Dick Wolf kid. I've done like five Dick Wolf shows. I'm, yeah. I'm a cop, I'm a detective, I'm a lawyer, I'm very, you know, yeah, yeah. push the agenda that way. And I always thought that that was how, you know, really, uh, you know, pertinent I issues could be, you know, brought to the forefront. I didn't realize it's sci-fi. It's under this awning that we can tell our stories. Yeah. And Star Trek particularly have always put a mirror up to life and society. And, you know, to be a part of that now, to know that there's a bunch of little beige kids with crazy curly hair out there that they're going to see them, themselves represented. That's I mean, my question for you. Like, you saw your family represented by Star Trek. And, yeah. And, and I think this is the thing Star Trek does very well. Yes. Star Trek represents inclusivity extremely well. Yes. No matter who you are, mm. you can see yourself. That's right. In Star Trek. We need that. Um, has it really landed on you that you are going to be for other people 100%. who Nichelle Nichols was, yep. who LeVar Burton was, mm -hmm. where he was a blind That's man right. uh, and showing that that kind still of... Still viable, of, of, still valuable, still yeah. contributing. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I'm the crazy lady that I will run across the street when I see a little, you know, mixy kid with curly, crazy hair. I will go over to them and go, hey, I love your hair. That's awesome because nobody did that for me. Nobody really? did. Oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm back in the day of like, you know, fair faucet, you know, the straight yeah. hair, whatever. That's not, that's not going to happen here, you know? Yeah. And I've also had a couple of shows where they've straightened my hair and it's very frustrating. I mean, I, I was told, imagine. I was told that during one job, uh, my character was the head of, like, had her own company. And I was told by the producers that they did research and found out that women of color, if they own their own business, they'd have to have straightened hair to be respected. Like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that when someone says that to you? You know, so, uh, so yes, I've absolutely, and, I, and truth be told, I actively have tried to always pick the roles that I've chosen to represent people of color in a much more um, fair, broader spectrum than what you typically think of. You mm -hmm. know, I, I, I'm, I'm, my father, you know, marched with Dr. King. I'm, I'm an activist a, a, as well as an actor. I can't yeah. help but be that way. So this, um, yeah, I'm really aware of that. You know, Issa Briones is, is Eurasian. Um, uh, Evan is mixed. I mean, we're, yeah. you know, this, this uh, crew, Motley crew, um, is giving a lot of children um, and a lot of people their mirror. Um, I have time for one last question. Certainly. I know what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's really amazing. Uh, but I wonder if you want to tease a little bit mm -hmm. um, of what we're going to see from her. You, if you want to talk about character moments or fun plot reveals or something that matters to you mm. uh, as the season is going to unfold. What do you want fans to be looking for? They're like, man, I don't want you to miss this. Right. What do you want, what, what, um, what is a, that? That's a good question. Uh, I think, and I've touched on it before, I think I really want the fans to see this person as someone who is trying to persevere over um, you know, the fact that she's struggling with her addiction. Mm -hmm. I just think it's a really important story. You know, it's a really important story for people to see that you can spiral, you can um, fall, you can stumble, but you can also get up. And sometimes you need people to help you. Um, sometimes you have to rely on yourself. 
um, but you're still valuable. You're still important to this community, to the world. You still have something to say. There's still hope. Um, you can, you know, you can, you can heal yourself mm -hmm. um, with the help of, of friends, of family, um, but also with the knowledge that you want to be part of society again, that you know that you have a voice that is important. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's one of the most important things that, you know, I, I want to portray and, and bring life to of Rafi. And Rafi does it with humor, with sarcasm, with, um, um, uh, with grace and with strength, and so I think that's what I hope that people, you know, tune into and see. I get all of that. Oh, good. And I love that Star Trek has you, an actor of oh. your caliber. Oh my gosh, thank And you. your pedigree as part of our family. Thank you thank so you. much for sitting down thank with you me today. Thank you so much, it's such a joy, thank you. In Star Trek terms, what does the acronym EMH stand for? Is it A, Emergency Medicine Hologram, B, Enhanced Maintenance Hologram, C, Enhanced Medical Healer, or D, Emergency Medical Hologram? Don't boldly go anywhere. Stay tuned for the answer. So it's pretty obvious that I love asking questions and interviewing the incredible talent that goes into making Star Trek Picard. But for this segment, I'm gonna hand that responsibility to you. Here at The Ready Room, we collected a lot of fan questions for the series cast, and we asked them on your behalf. Let's see what they had to say. From David on Twitter. What bit of Trek tech would you most like to have in your life? And I would have to say a replicator, because then you can just have anything, right? That's how they work. <laughs> I mean, well, you have to have the right program, but I mean, that's pretty instant. Like, hey, I want a hot dog. <laughs> I don't know why I went with hot dog, but. Aha, food, your nature. Well, yes. Uh... Um, well, 40, I'm 48 hours away from beginning. Well, we are, our European tour. And uh, so I would like a transporter, mm, please. Yeah. Yes. In fact, that's all I've wanted for years is a transporter. Definitely. From Mark on Twitter. Who was the funniest person on set? Ooh, Who was the funniest person question. on set? I would have to say Patrick. Patrick, Because right? he had the funniest stories. Actually, when him and Frags were together, they, yes. they were That's the funniest sure. on set, yes. for sure. From Roman on Twitter, what is your all-time favorite phrase or quote from any Star Trek series? Well, I gotta say, resistance is futile. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Katie on Twitter. It says, what is your favorite attribute about your character? And if you could meet them, what would you tell them? Uh, if I could meet him, I would say he can to lighten up a little bit. Uh, and uh, but at the same time, one of uh, my favorite attributes is his self-sufficiency. The fact that he's you know takes things uh, on by himself and he's managed to be self-sustainable. Mm -hmm. hmm? From George on Facebook. George, George's question is: If you could have a dinner party with one or two guests, past or present, living or dead, friends or family, who would you choose? And why? Uh, George, can we have breakfast? <laughs> I, I'm not a big dinner guy. It would it be breakfast and... Uh, okay, uh, so who would you have breakfast with, Brent? Gosh, living or dead, family or... Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think that's kind of interesting. I hadn't thought of this, but my family, family who I've lost, I would like to... Uh, well, dead people. Yeah. Yeah. To meet and have, have breakfast with. I mean, I didn't. I never knew my father really. Uh, I was ten months old when my father passed away, and um, I, I'd very much like to meet him and have dinner with him, or or breakfast, whatever he wants.
In Star Trek terms, what does the acronym EMH stand for? And the answer is D, Emergency Medical Hologram. The first on-screen EMH was The Doctor, famously played by Robert Picardo on Star Trek Voyager. All right, so Picard has a ship, Picard has a crew. We really are at the end of the beginning. But what is next for Picard and this shiny new crew? Well, we've got a never-before-seen clip from next week's episode, Absolute Candor, that I cannot wait to show you. And I don't have to, because we're showing it to you right here, right now. Check it out. Hello, hello. How good to see you all again. Yes, yes. I know you're all worried, but the Federation and Starfleet are here to help you settle. You have my word. You're on proof. You haven't stopped talking about Admiral Picard since he left. Can't you find something to say to him? What did you bring me? What did I bring you? Well, now let me see the Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today in The Ready Room. I will be back next week to talk to Santiago Cabrera about all things Star Trek Picard Episode 4, Absolute Candor. Until then, I'm Will Wheaton. Live long and prosper.